Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Craig Sylvie was only 19 when he finished his first novel, Rhubarb. It was published two years later in 2004 and won Craig the Sydney Morning Herald Best Young Novelist Award. The book was hailed by critics and readers alike and was chosen as the one book for the Perth International Writers' Festival in 2005 and was included in the National Books Alive campaign. In 2005, he wrote a children's book with illustrator Sonia Martinez called The World According to Warren. His second novel, Jasper Jones, has just been released and has already garnered rave reviews. It has been compared favourably to the classic To Kill a Mockingbird and promises to be as successful as Rhubarb was five years ago. Craig grew up in rural Western Australia and now lives in Fremantle. His latest project is a band, The Nancy Sykes, for which he sings and rights. So Craig, thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. Now it's been five years since Rhubarb, so that's quite a long time between novels. What have you been doing in the last five years? Um, well, that's an interesting uh, question. I think, uh, you know, what, what, what sort of ended up happening was, uh, you know, Rhubarb sort of took off you know, in, in ways that uh, certainly exceeded my expectations. Well, Rhubarb exceeded my expectations when I got published, you know. Um, and so there was a little bit of time touring with that. And then uh, there was this this second novel that, I, that I'd that i started working on and, and that got shelved. And then, uh, then Jasper Jones came about. And in between then, I've been writing songs and, you know, trying to live and traveling and all that sort of thing. So, you know, it's it's been a... It's been a busy five years. So it's been a busy, creative kind of life. Did you always know you wanted to write and be creative, even when you were younger, when you were little? Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I always knew that I. Well, it's it was more. It's more a compulsion, really. You know, it's not something I ever really, you know, overthought. It was never, you know, this this thing of academic inquiry for me. You know, I'm not sure if I ever sort of expected to be an author. Mm. Um, you know, I never really felt like a decision that I made. It's just something that I've always done and it's sort of how I personally try to make sense of things. And it's the, you know, when I'm writing, it's the place where I feel best about myself. Mm-hmm. Much of it sort of strips me down and almost kills me. Um, you know, I'm genuinely happiest when I'm working on a novel or doing something creative. It's just something that I naturally gravitate towards. Tell us how Rhubarb reason. came about. When did you first start writing it? What were you trying to achieve at the time? And, um, you know, what happened in terms of a final outcome? Tell us about it. Well, you know, I, I finished school um, more or less to sort of please my parents. You know, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to leave home and move to Fremantle and and write a novel, you know, it's just, it's just everything that I wanted to do and I was focused on that since I was 
you know, 16 or 17. I know during my last year of high school, I was starting to do notes on rhubarb and, and starting to flesh it out in in my head. And so that's what ended up happening. You know, I, I moved out of home and, and um, you know, rented my own place and I did all the shitty jobs that no one else wanted to do to <laughs> afford me the, the time to write. And, you know, I went into it with absolutely no idea what I was doing and I still have no idea, but, <laughs> you know, I was very naive and, you know, it took a great deal longer than I expected. Mm. Um, but uh, no, there, there it was. At, at the end of three years of long toil and hard work, it was it was sort of there. It was finally finished. Did you always expect that it was going to be published? No, not at all. I mean, I think you know, I'm a great believer in that sort of sense of apprenticeship, you know, and I knew that it would take a great deal of development, you know, and 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 learning the craft. Um, no, I, I never expected it to get published. I just wanted, um, you know, I just hoped that there'd been some sort of improvement, you know. But I was stunned and thrilled that, that people reacted so well to the story. Mm. And what did you do when you talk about an apprenticeship, you know, what did you do to hone your craft or, or learn, you know, how to improve it? Well, I mean, I think it begins and ends with simply practising the craft and and reading as much as you can and as broadly as you can and just imbibing as much information as as your body can handle you know and reading as broadly uh, as you possibly can and then that's going to you know it's going to filter into something unique hopefully if you practice the craft enough and so i think it's just simply the time spent um with with your project you know that's that's the way that it tends to be working for me and so you've been compared to Tim Winton, and your latest book has been compared to To Kill a Mockingbird. What do you think when you hear those sorts of comments and praise about your work? Oh, look, it's it's slightly insane. Um, <laughs> you know, first of all, it's very, very flattering. Um, well, less so for Harper and Tim. <laughs> but, you know, I think... <laughs> Uh, I tend to be fairly grounded about that sort of thing, especially in, uh, you know, we tend to live in a, in a kind of hysterical media culture where things need to be instantly acclaimed as the next something or the best since. And, you know, it's a way for people to identify with a piece of art that they know nothing about. You know, mm. it's, it's the same thing happens with music. You know, it sounds like or, you know, it, it, it references this. But, you know, I'm under no illusions. <laughs> I think when I've sold 50 million copies and, you know, my <laughs> books are still on the shelves in 50 years, then maybe I'll think there's some credit to it. But for now, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a little more grounded. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Jasper Jones. Tell the listeners what it's about. Well, Jasper Jones uh, is is uh, it's a coming of age slash regional mystery Southern Gothic love story. You know, it's this sort of mongrel of genres, uh, which which came about. It was supposed to be a novella, but it quickly got big on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best way for me to describe it is just to sort of you know give the opening where. Uh, we start with Charlie Buckton, who's our book's narrator, and he's 13 years old, and he's sort of rakish and bookish and tall and very thin, and um, he lives in a country town called Corrigan. And, you know, he's ostracised in this town for being uh, this intelligent, sensitive boy who loves books and, and, and wants to be a writer. And uh, so we open the book. Um, late one night, he's reading 
in his sleep out and there's a knock on his window and it's Jasper Jones. Now Jasper Jones is sort of the the antithesis of Charlie, you know. He's um, more or less an orphan, you know, his mother's passed away and his father's sort of next to no good and so he's this very rebellious independent spirit in the town and he's also, you know, blamed for everything. He's the kid that, you know, this town of Corrigan sort of, you know, he's the rug under which they sweep their shit, you know. Mm. He's mercilessly sort of marginalised in this town. And so Jasper's knocked on Charlie's window and he's urgently asking for his help. And Charlie doesn't know Jasper, but he's a sort of distant figure of intrigue for him and he's terrified, but he desperately wants to impress him. And so he goes out into the night and, and Jasper takes him to a secret glade in the bush and shows him this discovery, which Jasper is sure that he's going to be blamed for mm. and you know that, that he feels he's imperiled by it simply because of the town mm. uh simply because of the way it looks and so he's adjuring charlie for, for his help to, to help him uh you know solve this mystery mm. and so that's where the book begins but it, you know really begins you know it, it turns into this sort of treatise on on the machinations of the town and about you know myth and, and coming of age and and all those sorts of things, you know, in a, in a way that I certainly didn't expect when I was, when I was writing the piece. So the themes uh, can be very adult, although your characters are relatively young. Have you aimed this at young adult market or, or are you thinking adults are going to be reading it as well? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I never really, you know, <laughs> the, uh, have the luxury of uh, of thinking about an audience, you know, I think that sort of thing never really occurred to me during its inception and its development. Mm. You know, it's always just really about the story and about mm. fleshing out the characters and working out why I wanted it to, wanted it to be told and why I cared about these boys and what was sort of lurking beneath it all. So I don't think I'm at the stage where I can be really fussy about which group of people reacts to it the best. Sure. I think. I just sort of hope that it reaches everybody and, you know, I don't want it to be exclusive of any group. But mm. having said that, I sort of became aware, especially when the language of Jasper Jones sorted itself out and it was a more sort of naive and simpler language that Charlie gives us. Mm. Um, I knew that it was going to be a broader and sort of more accessible work than previously. So, uh, you know, I thought it might be accepted a little more broadly. I didn't quite think that Jasper would sort of span the globe as he appears like he's set to do. But, uh, you know, I thought I might invite a few more people into the conversation, sure. So why did you want to tell this story? Why personally did you have to get this out? Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting story because, you know, I I almost didn't want to. You know, as as I mentioned, I was working on another very very different second book for for a couple of years after rhubarb and it was going surely but very slowly mm-hmm. and during one night um one of many nights spent panicking about the whole thing i realized that it would be you know another couple of years before it sort of broke the tape and worst of all i was starting to doubt whether or not it was worth it mm. <laughs> you know? and so around this time late one night um came the name Jasper Jones and uh, it just sort of appeared. He sort of, it just sort of whispered itself into my head and, and I couldn't let it go and I had to work out who this person was. And so as these things sort of happened, you know, he took hold and he took shape and soon I had Charlie there ready to tell this story. Mm. And so I, I had this horrible choice whether to sort of shelve this other novel which was sort of, you know, gradually burgeoning out of my grasp mm. and it was losing scope and purpose and all this thing, or follow Jasper Jones down to his glade and, um, 
you know, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to do this because I was working on something else. Mm. And I'm a very stubborn little man. So once <laughs> I start something, I have to sort of finish it. And so it was a very difficult decision, but one that I'm glad that I sort of had the, the courage to make. Mm. Um, but yeah, at the time, like most affairs, I felt so guilty about <laughs> embarking on this new exciting project that I just sort of threw myself into it and, um, you know, and, and, it, and it began. And, and I don't know, I'm not sure quite why it just took hold so mm. much. You know, I think in, you know, when you know that a... Uh, I'm dribbling on here. I'm sorry, but you know, no, you, you know that uh, <laughs> you know that a, that a book is working when, uh, and this sounds ridiculous and and a bit new agey, but if you'll indulge me, it sort of sounds like you're a conduit for something more. You know, you mm. feel as though it's sort of working. The story has always existed, and and you're just a vehicle for you know its manifestation mm. in some sort of way. And so Jasper Jones almost immediately felt like that. It felt like this universal sort of tale that almost just sort of, you know, with a lot of hard work was, was going to unfurl itself, you know. A lot of things just sort of felt too convenient and, and, and it just sort of ended up happening. It was just a very exhausting process, but, you know, it was just this very, very organic and, and genuine thing. So that was always the lure. Were you concerned at any point that you would go, oh, my God, it's a year later and I feel like, you know, how I felt with the, the, the other novel that I didn't finish? Would you Were you ever concerned that that might have happened? Um, yeah, I mean, I think every novelist, you know, has those nagging doubts and fears, you know, it's the risk that you take. I mean, it's yeah. just, you, you know, you, you divulge so much time and effort into, into this very, very risky enterprise, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's up to you for this, for this entire period until it's ready to go, you know? And so, yeah, that's, that's just the risk. You've just got to have faith in, in your instincts. So how long did Jasper Jones take to write? And in that period, when you're in the zone and you're writing, describe to us your typical writing day. Well, Jasper Jones ended up taking around about 18 months to sort of, to, to really crystallise and, and get done. That, that first draft was done in about 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean... Uh, there was a lot of time spent. I mean, rhubarb took me three years, but mm. I think I spent more hours on Jasper Jones mm -hmm. because I had the time. Mm. And so I guess a typical writing day when things are really in swing, I guess I get up around nine and drink, you know, a bucket of coffee and read <laughs> and do email and that sort of thing. And then I go to the gym. And then once I get back, I'll work for five or six hours in the afternoon. And then, um, you know, I'll stop and rest and cook dinner because, you know, when you're in the midst of something that doesn't seem like it ever has an end, it's nice <laughs> to sort of start and finish a task mm -hmm. in a day. So mm -hmm. cooking a meal is a really nice, you know, ritual. Um, and then after that, uh, I'll work for another five or six hours, um, you know, in, into the morning. So I'll get to bed maybe about three. So you're a night owl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, it, it tend, I tend to, it's strange, I tend to be more critical during the day, which is great for editing and that sort of thing. But, mm. you know, uh, late into the night, I'm, I'm more prepared to try things and, and be inventive and all that sort of thing. And, you know, so it's, it's a nice little um, chain, you know, so I'll wake up the next morning and, you know, look at it the afternoon and, and go, that's rubbish. And, you know, edit it. <laughs> so obviously you have a publisher now, but when Rhubarb was written, you didn't have a publisher initially. And I understand that you were 21 when it got published, but you, that was two years after you finished it. How did you finally get published? Um, 
Well, it's, just, it, it's, it's a very short story with a very long prelude. <laughs> uh, you know, I finished Rhubarb, uh, you know, I finished editing the manuscript and I sent it off with about five minutes left before the post office shut to scrape it into the Vogel Awards. Oh, yes. Um, and obviously I didn't win, uh, but it was one of the few books that was considered for publication. Mm-hmm. And there was an editor, Alan Amwan, who was really pushing for it. Uh, but it could never quite break the tape. You know, the, the, the further it got, you know, the, the harder it got shunted back. And so yes. she ended up soliciting it to other editors at other publishers, which was just, for me, who knew nobody and, and knew nothing, I didn't even know what an agent was at that mm. stage. You know, it was just this stunningly kind act because she believed in the book so much and wanted it to see it out there. Mm. Um, and so I waited and waited, um, and but eventually the, the same sorts of letters were trickling in. You know, editors at the bigger houses really loved the book, but mm. the sad truth was I had no profile and I had no numbers behind me, and the risk was simply too great, you know. Mm. And so, um, you know, this was, this was 12 to 18 months of just waiting for these very nice rejection slips. Mm. Um, but what ended up happening was I met an editor from Fremantle Press after, you know, it all sort of died down and he gave me his card and I sent him the manuscript and two days later I ended up with a contract. So, <laughs> I, you know, I sort of wished that I'd just gone there first, you know, and got a year of my life back. Just around the corner probably as well. Yeah, not. yeah, exactly, exactly. You know? um, tell us about your band. What do you do with them and what kind of music is it and, you know, do you write songs for it as well? Um, yeah, I mean, it just it started as this kind of distraction, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my band is called the Nancy Sykes mm-hmm. and uh, it started very, very discreetly uh, with just me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I play the uh, electric ukulele, so we can never really take ourselves too seriously. Um okay. But, you know, I think songwriting for me initially, it was just, it, it's, it had always been this really mystical, magical thing. I could never really get my head around exactly how people wrote songs. And it was just this enduring mystery. And I really wanted to know how to do it, you know, um, in the same sort of way that, you know, car enthusiasts just want to lift the, lift the bonnet on things and just work out how, how it all works. You know, mm. the same for me with, with the arts, you know, mm. I just wanted to work out the machinations of songwriting. It was just really, really interesting to me. And so once I'd had some sort of acumen with an instrument, it just happened to be the ukulele, <laughs> um, you know, it, uh, these songs just sort of uh, started happening. And because I'm nothing if not an, an obsessive little man, I ended up writing, you know, a bunch of songs in a short amount of time. I wrote like 60 songs or something. Right. And, you know, I thought if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. So I, you know, ended up recording them up as little demos just on my own, playing very, very terrible drums and, 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 and bass guitar and all that sort of thing behind the scenes and then showed my friends and, you know, they didn't laugh. And so we, we started a band. And so do you, where do you play and, and what are your plans for it? Um, look, our plans are, are very, very loose, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> it's, it's hard getting six people into a room uh, together to, to practice, let alone organise shows. But we've played a few shows and uh, for some reason we chose very large venues and for some reason 
a lot of people turned up to watch us play and it's just been really, really rewarding. It's it's Great. just been amazing. Yeah, and other than that, for some reason we end up playing you know, we do big shows and celebrity parties. We've um you know, we played at the at, at the first birthday party of uh, the daughter of one of the Australian boomers. Right. And uh we ended up we ended up playing at uh, Sean Tan's wedding um, right. a few months ago. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. So you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Celebrity parties and big shows. That's what it's we a do nice that. literary <laughs> event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knew that the electric ukulele would be so appealing to people? Um, so what's your advice for other first-time novelists? Not that you're a first-time novelist now, but, you know, you're relatively young. What would your advice to be to people who are out there trying to get into the industry? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I never feel as though I'm qualified to offer any advice. You know, as I mentioned, I never really feel as though I've got any idea of what I'm doing. You know, it all it never feels like mastery. It always just seems, you know, like I've sort of fluked things just simply by sticking around. Right. You know, um, you know, I've not furthered my education. I haven't attended any course. Mm-hmm. All I've done is, is read and practice the craft. And I think maybe that's the best advice that I could offer anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm um, and I'm under no illusions about my intelligence or talent or anything of the sort. I think it's just the fact that I'm willing to sequester myself in a hovel of my own making for a year or so to write something which may or not be read by anyone mm. other than, you know, well-meaning friends and relatives. Um, you know, it's just, it's just I, I think it's rare for a young person to, to have that kind of impulse, mm. you know. But I think as an author, you've got to be prepared to have that kind of sustained focus it's not something you can do part time. It's more, you know, it's more than obsessive. It's like a an illness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but other than that, I think you've got to write honestly, and maybe you've got to try and remove your ego from the story and and be brutal with yourself. You know, you've got to be your best barometer and try and write the book that you yourself would like to read, and. That means you've got to have faith in your instincts and your intuition because when you're staring at a blank page, it's really all you have. You know, you're following a line of inquiry and you've got no idea why. And so you've just got to trust in the story, you know, and, and it will end up rewarding you. Mm. Um, so I think if you work hard enough and stay with it, you can only ever end up with something you're proud of. Wonderful. And finally then, you've, Jasper Jones is out now. So what are you obsessing over now? Uh, mostly I'm just banging on about myself a lot <laughs> to anyone who will listen. What, will, um, what do you want to be obsessing over next <laughs> in terms of a creative well, pursuit? Yeah. I mean, I've started, I've started my third book. Um, mm-hmm. I started it last year and I'm, I'm actually a fair way through it, but it's, it, it seems like it's harder this time around to, to find the time to get back into it. I need a, I need a real block of time. Um, otherwise it's simply not, not worth it. You know, there's no point trying to get in it for two weeks and then get out to, to tour. So a lot of this year will be spent touring Jasper and then mm. next year, it's, you know, Jasper Jones is out in the UK and the year after that it's out in the States. So hopefully in the midst, you know, of that, I can, um, you know, find some, find some time to keep working or else I'll just go mental. <laughs> and have you decided this is it? You're going to be a full-time writer forever you know is this is this your calling oh you know I'm not I'm not sure it's my calling but it's certainly my compulsion and you know I I feel absolutely 
blessed that that I've been able to do it for for this long. You know, I feel so grateful that I live in a place that affords me the opportunity to to you know indulgently spend all this time working on something that I want to work on. You know, it's it's so rare in the world, I think. And so I you know if I can do this for the rest of my life, I you know I'll be the the luckiest little man that ever picked up a pen. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Craig. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.